Thank you so much, guys. We're, I feel so privileged that we have such um, talented individuals that can so adequately lead us into the presence of God. And it's just really good this morning, isn't it, collectively to come together, to sing our praises, to come back to that place of, of gratitude and thanks for what our Heavenly Father has done for us. So that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, just before I speak to us this morning, um, Jason is going to come and give our reading to us uh, today from Mark chapter one. Come on down. Right. Uh, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach to them also. That is why I have come. Um, thank you, Joseph, for that reading. And thank you, Brenda, for uh, leading communion this morning. That was fantastic. Um, just before we get going today, um, I need to plug my phone in, because um, I'm running out of battery, and... Uh, yeah, there we go. That's a good one. This won't blow anything up, will it? No? Find out now. There we go. Much better. Um, it seems to run out of battery really quick, my phone, my, my smartphone. The first phone I had was uh, uh, a Philips. This was before uh, the days when everyone had Nokia phones. And uh, I'm pretty sure I had to charge it uh, maybe once a fortnight. Before it, uh, it died. I've got a picture of it there for you. It's, uh, that's the one with the big chunky removable area, aerial. The screen was actually so small that uh, you, you had to read text messages in sections. It would sort of scroll across. Uh, not on that one. That was, that was pre-Snake, although I did have a Nokia with Snake. And there was no such things as emoticon, so you literally had to write, this makes me happy. Um, those truly were the dark ages. Um, <laughs> but my phone now, my phone now is brilliant. I mean, there's nothing my phone now can't do. It's, you know, it can do picture messages. It can surf the internet. I can edit videos. I can listen to music. Um, I, I can uh, watch TV. I can use it as a sat-nav. I can use it as a remote control. I can shop. I can play games. I can read my Bible. I can tune my guitar. I found out recently that I can actually make phone calls on it. It's <laughs> incredible. The trouble is, the more my phone seems to have to do, the quicker it seems to run out of power. And I wonder this morning how many of us can relate to that. Doesn't it seem that the more we have to do in our lives, the quicker we run out of power? But I wasn't really plugging my phone in. That was just an, an illustration in case you think I'm being rude. A little cheesy, I know. But that's what we're talking about today. How can we recharge? Where can we take our power from? And last week I read to you from the message paraphrase um, of Matthew 11, where Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out and burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me and you will recover your life. And we all need a way to recover, don't we? A way to recharge our batteries, so to speak. Just like my phone this morning, we all need a power source. So this is my 
This is the second uh, week on our series, Spiritual Rhythms. And last week, the first week, we spent some time together considering what it means to follow Jesus. What it really means to submit to his authority in in every area of our life. And um, how we can learn healthy spiritual rhythms um, by watching him and walking with him and um, learning from him and seeing how he does it. So this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time looking at how Jesus recharged his batteries, where he got his power from, uh, and then I want to consider how we, um, as his followers, as his disciples, can do the same. Okay? You with me? No. Yes. <laughs> interaction is all right. I don't mind interaction. It's fine. So we need to, we need to ask ourselves first, where did Jesus get his power? Where did he get his energy from? Before Jesus began um, his ministry, so this was the, the thing that he came to do, the, the work that he'd been given by God to do on earth, and we're told that he was baptized um, by a guy called John, and then he went out into the desert to be tempted, and then when he returned from the desert, Luke tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And the Spirit that's being spoken about here is God's Spirit. Jesus' source of power was his relationship with his father. And a little bit later on, he, he spoke to his disciples um, before they began their ministry, before they began their work. You know, before Jesus left, returned to heaven, the disciples were, were learning from him. And then after he left, they had their own mission, their own things that they had to do. And in preparation for that, he said to them, you, you need to stay in Jerusalem. Don't go back to your daily lives. Don't go back to the things that you've, you know, you've, you've got a, on your to-do list. Just stay, remain here. And he said, and wait, wait until my Holy Spirit comes. And then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's the same situation. Jesus went into the desert. The disciples had to remain in Jerusalem. But both of them had to withdraw from daily life to receive power from God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. A little bit later on in his gospel, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So we learn that Jesus receives this power, this recharge, this energy from withdrawing and plugging into God in prayer, which he did often. So the gospel writers, they record for us a number of occasions when Jesus did this. Um, and the first one I want to look at this morning, the, the reading that Jason brought for us is found in Mark um, chapter 1. So if you haven't got your Bibles open already, please do so. Um, or even on your smartphones. Don't worry too much about your battery. Um, now, we've got four writers in the Bible that tell us about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, they're all different people. Uh, they all had different personalities, different writing styles. And they all write with a slightly different agenda. Um, so Matthew, for example, is writing to uh, a Jewish audience. So he works really hard to point out um, where Jesus has fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. Um, Luke was a doctor, so his writing's a bit more analytical, and he wants to sort of portray Jesus as the, the remedy to the world's ills. Um, Mark, on the other hand, um, I always read as that kid that is really desperate to tell you something and can't quite get his words out fast enough. Yeah? You know the one I'm talking about. So, for example, the word immediately occurs 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. 
So it's almost as though he's going, uh, so, so Jesus first, he, he, he did this, and then, and then he went into the desert, uh, and, and then he healed some sick people, and then there were some demons, and he drove them out, and, and then he went to a synagogue, and then he spoke to some Pharisees, and then he went on a road, and, you know, it's, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. So you get the sense of pace and, and immediacy when you read Mark's gospel. So he doesn't bother at the start of his book with any genealogies. He doesn't even bother with the birth of Jesus. Um, Christmas isn't there. Knowing Mark, he'd already opened his presents anyway. Um, he, briefly, he briefly mentions uh, John the Baptist. He mentions the testing, tells us that Jesus calls some disciples. And then verse 23, we're into the action. Verse 23 says, Just then, or a man, a man in their synagogue who was possessed with an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and and what authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And then just skip down to verse 32. And Mark says, um, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Now, I suspect in his childlike excitement, Mark is using a bit of hyperbole here. Um, Perhaps he isn't. Perhaps the whole town did gather at the door. Um, We don't know for sure. But Mark's point, I guess, is that Jesus' popularity had skyrocketed. Jesus was a a popular person. And, you know, we live in a a culture today, I think, that is obsessed with with popularity, with with celebrity in particular. And people um, aspire to be famous now. That's That's a valid career option, to be a famous as though that's the thing that's going to make them happy and whole and complete. And I think, on some level or another, we all crave the attention or the adoration of others. And social media has given us a wonderful uh, platform for fulfilling this desire. Um, Posts are promoted by popularity. It's no longer enough to have a nice picture of you and your friends. It now has to contain 50 likes and have been shared five times or retweeted, or whichever social media platform um, you may use. And, you know, maybe don't use social media, but you can still relate. You know, if you tell a joke or, or do something that other people like and you gain attention from that, you feel good, don't you? If, you know, maybe it's, it sounds a little bit narcissistic, but let's just think about this for a moment. Let's put ourselves in Jesus' shoes. If we were at the start of our, our ministry, our time on our earth, uh, you know, fulfilling the work that God had given us to do, and, and the whole town turns up at the door, what would we do? I, t- I mean, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd fling the doors open. I'd say, hello, I'm here. Don't worry. I'm here now. I'm here to heal your sick. Bring everyone. Let me tell you about God. Make me some snacks. You know, I'm being facetious, but think about it seriously for a moment. If we did something as a church and the whole town turned up, we'd be desperate to keep that going for as long as possible, wouldn't we? What does Jesus do? Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, 
left the house, carefully tiptoed over those that were sleeping outside the front door, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus' response to his popularity is to withdraw to a solitary or a lonely place and to pray. And what we learn, I think, from this is that Jesus isn't motivated by popularity. He takes his motivation, he takes his energy from another source, which is his relationship with his heavenly Father. Mark carries on, he tells us that Simon... Uh, who's the chap who later became Peter, and his companions, they go to look for him. And when they find him, they, they exclaim, everyone's looking for you. And you can, you can sense the sense of excitement, can't you? Come on, Jesus, everyone wants to see you. Everyone's looking for you. This is great. It's going to work. We're going to be really popular. Come on. And Jesus responds, and I, I like to imagine him sort of half shrugging at this point. He says, let's go somewhere else. To nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. And Jesus isn't driven by popularity. His energy and his power, they don't come from other people. They come from God. And it's God who gives him his mission. So he keeps himself centered in God. And he knows, he knows that in order to be reminded of that, sometimes he needs to disconnect from the world. In order to reconnect with his father. So let's, um, let's have a look at another one, shall we? Um, we'll have a look in um, John. John chapter 6. So the situation is this. Um, Jesus has continued to be uh, popular. He's continued to, to grow in popularity. John describes uh, great crowds that are following Jesus around now. He can't get a, a moment's peace. Um, John says there's 5,000 men. So there was more than 5,000, but there were, you know, just counting the men, a little bit sexist, but just counting the men, there was 5,000. Um, and they follow him around all day. They end up following him um, up, up a hill. And eventually it kind of gets to tea time. And Jesus realizes that, that no one's had anything to eat all day long. So he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, we need to sort out some lunch for these people. And, uh, you know, Philip bless him, pipes up, and he says, all right, that's fine, but, you know, there's a lot of people here. Who's going to pay Jesus? You know, I've got like £3.50, and there's at least 5,000 guys out there. It's not going to stretch. Andrew um, tries to be a little bit more practical, and he points out um, a kid who happens to be there with a packed lunch, um, and it's a packed lunch of five loaves and two fish. Um, obviously, the kid is mortified. He wanted a packet of crisps and a chocolate bar. Um, <laughs> But, you know, his mum's super health conscious, so she packed in the five layers and fish, and the kid thinks, here's a good chance to get rid of this horrible lunch. Um, so he hands it over to Jesus. And Jesus uses this boy's lunch to somehow, somehow make it go round everyone. He feeds everyone there. Absolutely amazing. Everyone is thrilled. Um, no one can believe what's happening before them. Um, and it says in verse 14 that after people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, say, surely this is the prophet who came into the world. So suddenly they're really, really interested in him. They're like, this man's amazing. This man can make bread magically multiply before our eyes. You know? And their brains start racing and they think, we need to, we need to do something here. We need to get this guy a, a, a job. You know, we could feed everyone. We could make him king. And then he could make sure that everyone always has enough food. 
Now we could call him uh, the King's Mill King, his Royal Hovis. And they try and, uh, come on, that was good. That was good. Come on now. And it certainly would have, been a, it would have been a nice job for Jesus to do. But it says in verse 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So first he starts in a desert. He often goes to lonely places. He withdraws to desolate places and now to a mountain. And he refuses to be motivated by popularity, but we also see that he's not motivated by other people's expectations of him. I'm fairly certain that you've never had 5,000 people try to make you king or queen. Um, Bless you. Um, If you have, I'd love to hear the story. Um, But I'm sure at times it can feel like everybody wants something from you. Everyone wants a piece of you. And more often than that, I think we try and fulfill all those expectations that people have of us. And if we're not careful in the middle of that, we can lose sight of what it is that God wants us to do. And you see, in this situation, Jesus knew that he had to get back to his father before he ended up being forced down the wrong path. And we can tell from both of these stories, I think, that Jesus kept himself grounded in his relationship with his father. And we need to do the same. This is what we need to learn. This is the rhythm um, that we need to include in our daily lives. So let's just recap for a minute. What have we learned? Um, Firstly, we see that this is a regular thing for Jesus. Um, Last week, we spoke about a rhythm being a strong, regular and repeated pattern. And the verse we looked at in Luke tells us Jesus often withdrew. Not occasionally not at the weekends, not fortnightly, but he often withdrew. Secondly, we see that Jesus prioritizes his time with God at the expense of his popularity and other people's expectations of him. He refuses to be driven by other people. And thirdly, we see that Jesus has a specific place to which he withdraws to connect with his father. So, you know, it may be a desert or a mountain or, or a lonely or desolate place, but he chooses somewhere free from the world. There's a, an, a, an act of disconnecting with everything that's going on in his life in order to reconnect with his father. So how can we do the same? Because sometimes I think we like to imagine ourselves as smartphones. We um, say, well, it was all right for the people in the Nokia days when all they had to do was send picture messages and texts. But me, I'm, you know, I'm really busy. I re- no, I'm really busy now. I've got so much to do. I haven't got time to fit God into my schedule because, you know, my week is full up already. But the reality is it's because our lives are so busy that we need to make time for him. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves quickly um, being led by inferior sources such as our popularity or other people's expectations of us. And it's then that we find ourselves drained and empty and spiritually dry. So how can we plug into God? In his book, um, Raw Spirituality, Tom Smith suggests that we could use the popular acronym SMART to help us find time to do this. So if you're not familiar um, with the acronym, I'm going to take you through it now. There it is. 
The S stands for specific, not pacific, specific. Um, And this means that our time with God is not an afterthought. It's not something that we just sort of tack on when we occasionally remember, but that it's a priority and it's something that becomes clearly defined for us. Richard Foster says that the spiritual life is not something we add on to an already busy life. What we're talking about is trying to impregnate and infiltrate and control what we do already with an attitude of service to God. And in order to do that, we need to be specific. We need to ask ourselves, when today am I going to find time to plug in to God? Because there's a lot of things which demand our attention, aren't there? You know, I, I love that illustration at the start of Mark, as we were reading earlier, where, where Peter turns up saying, everyone's looking for you. And it can be like that sometimes, can't it? Everyone's looking for you. There's always something that requires our attention. And I just think maybe sometimes we should ask ourselves, are there things in our life which demand a lot of our attention that perhaps we give into a little bit e- too easily? Just to be clear, I'm not talking about your children. You should always give your children attention. That's important. But other things, things like social media or, or television or games or our phones or alcohol or whatever it might be for us. You know, Paul makes this brilliant, brilliant point um, in his letter to the Corinthians. And he says to them, I have the right to do everything, anything you say. That's what you're saying. I've got the right to do anything. And he says that's true. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And sometimes I think we allow things which on the surface appear completely innocent to have mastery over us by the amount of time and the amount of energy we give them. Does that make sense? A good question to ask is, are there things in our life which have a higher priority than our relationship with God that really, really shouldn't? And the way we get around this is being intentional in our relationship with God by planning our time together, by making sure we have that regular set-aside time for our Heavenly Father. We have a new um, tradition in our our household. On a Saturday morning, we like to to get up more or less together, um, stay in our pyjamas, and um, the four of us, me, Sean, and the two kids, we all sit down together and play Super Mario Brothers on the, on the TV. And that's our Saturday morning for an hour or so. And it's a time that I really look forward to in the week because I know that it's this protected, it's this set-aside time that I get to spend with my family. And it's not that I ignore them for the rest of the week. I try and see my kids, you know, every day. But it's that there is that time that I know I'm going to be able to say no to everything else and just have that precious time with my family. So when's our specific time with our Heavenly Father? Sunday morning doesn't count, by the way. Sorry. The M stands for measurable, or perhaps in this context, a better word might be meaningful. What do we do with that time? You know, we've set aside this this specific time and place. How do we then go about hearing from God? How do we spend time with our Father? A good option, perhaps I would suggest, is that we start with the Scriptures with the Bible, with his word to us. Dave Mathis says that prayer is a conversation that we didn't start. And what he means by that is that God has already spoken to us through his word. So why not start 
there. I once heard a preacher say that wondering why God isn't speaking to you and not reading your Bible is like walking around with your phone on airplane mode and wondering why no one is calling you. If we want to hear from God, then we need to get into his word. So why not plan ways of reading the scripture? How about a psalm each day or read through a book in a week or a fortnight or a month? Or why not keep a journal and write down what you feel God is saying to you each time that you read? I did um, an exercise in college once where they had us um, meditate on, on one verse uh, for 15 minutes. Just one short verse. And we all thought this is going to be rubbish. 30 seconds we'll have read it, if that. And then two minutes we'll have got everything we're going to get from the verse. And they encouraged us to write down things as we went. And it was, came to the end of the time and all of us were still writing. And all of us said that our biggest revelation, the time when we felt that, that God had said the most to us, was towards the end of the time. God's word is incredible if we allow it time and we really um, give ourselves over to it. Sometimes it's good to practice silence, listening for that still, small voice of God. Sometimes it's, it's good to talk out loud, to, to verbalize things, um, or maybe even write down a prayer. Martin Luther recommended um, praying through the Lord's Prayer each day, but with a fresh wording every day. Some people like the acronym ACTS. Which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is a very old word. Basically, we, we adore him, we praise him for who he is. Perhaps with some worship music, we confess our sins and we thank him for his grace and mercy. And the supplication bit is bringing our requests for ourselves and our, our family and our friends. But our time with our Heavenly Father, it doesn't need to be the same thing every day. If I only ever took Sean to one restaurant and ordered the same meal, then quickly that, that time together would become boring and dull and neither of us would look forward to it. So let's make the time that we have meaningful. And the A is achievable. Our time with God needs to be achievable, otherwise we will give up and become frustrated. Don't plan an hour with God if you only have 10 minutes in a day. Just make those 10 minutes as meaningful as possible. Uh, John Ortberg says that when we are consistent with our spiritual disciplines, they become a rhythm for living in which we can grow more intimately connected to God. And that's what we're after, isn't it? That constant relationship with our Heavenly Father. So we need to make sure it's, a, it's achievable. Um, psychologists say that it takes a minimum, an absolute minimum of 21 days to form a new habit. So if we're not having um, achievable times and we're giving up all the time, then it's never going to become a rhythm for us. It's never going to stay um, in our lives. Uh, it also needs to be realistic. That's the R. What's realistic for one person may not be realistic for somebody else. Um, when I was a younger Christian and a little bit more naive, I decided um, on one occasion that I, I needed to be more spiritual. I needed to be closer to God. And I, I thought, what can I do? How can I get closer to God? I, I looked in the Bible and I, you know, I saw Jesus went up mountains to pray and I thought, I'm going to go up a mountain. I'm going to go up a mountain and pray. That'll be the, the best thing for me to do. So I looked on a map. I found a mountain. Um, it might have been a hill. I don't really know the difference. It was in the Peak District, so maybe it was a peak. Um, and I, I set off early in the morning, and I, and I got to the, the foot of the hill, and I, I, I climbed half the day up to the top of this mountain. And when I, I reached the top, I looked out at the glorious vista before me, and I sat down, and I, I prayed to God for like five minutes and then I realized I was cold, and I realized I was hungry um, and quite lonely. And then the thought hit me, 
you are massively underprepared for this day. I had no extra food with me, no warm clothes with me. My phone had no signal, no map. I don't know the first thing about walking up a mountain. What on earth was I thinking? And so my, <laughs> my overriding memory of that time, that super spiritual time that I wanted with God, was just being cold and a bit sad on a hill somewhere in the Peak District. Um, and I've had much more meaningful times with God in my car than I ever did on that mountain. So we need to make sure that the times we have with God are, are realistic. And the T stands for timely. You know, for some people, the best time is at the end of the day. When I pray at the end of the day, I spend most of my time trying to stay awake. Never, ever watch me at a prayer meeting that we have in the meet here in the evenings, because it's like that for most of it. But I'm great in the morning. And it's different for all of us. And the time and place will look different for everyone. And this is the point of this acronym, that we find what it is that works with us and that we stick with it. Otherwise, we find ourselves becoming drained. Here's where we started. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. My battery, my spiritual battery, is much more iPhone than it is Nokia. It drains much quicker. If Jesus often withdrew, then how much more do we need to set aside time with our Heavenly Father? Where does our power come from? Does it come from other people's expectations of us, from our popularity, or does it come from God? What's driving us at the moment? What might we need to unplug from in order to plug into God, to spend time with our Heavenly Father? And do we make enough space for God in our lives? You know, maybe this morning you've, you've never spent any time with God before. That's just not, never been a feature of your life. Try it. Give it a go. Start with the scriptures. Start with Mark. I mean, he's desperate to tell you things. You'll get through it quickly. But spend some time with him this week. Plan to do it. Read the Bible and see what it is that he has to say to you and see how he recharges you, how he gives you rest and restores you through those times. Because it really is the best thing that we can do. Let's, uh, let's close our time in prayer.